flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. About a month ago, we started having sermons about the Holy Spirit. We were getting ready for Pentecost, and then we had Pentecost, and we had a couple guest preachers, and we, weren't necess- we, we, t- we said you can preach on whatever you want, and they preached about the Holy Spirit the first week and preached about the Holy Spirit the second week. And so it seems like the Holy Spirit wants us to talk about him in this season. So today we are continuing talking about the Spirit giving birth to Spirit. Today's message is called The Holy Spirit, New Birth, and a Vampire. So I'm promising this where we're going to go today. Let's talk for a minute about the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. I had somebody reach reach out to me this week and say, hey, I'm wondering who I should pray to. Should I I pray to God or the Father? Should I pray to Jesus or should I pray to the Holy Spirit? We had a great little conversation about that, and we talked about how the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity and how God is three persons in one— one unified God in three distinct persons. Here's a classic way of teaching about the Trinity. There's this, this chart up here. So this picture of God in the center. And God is Father. God is Son. God is Spirit. Three distinct persons. But the Father is not the same thing as the Son. And the Son is not the same as the Spirit. The Spirit is not the same as the Father. Three distinct persons in one. This is the mystery. If it's kind of blowing your mind and you think, I don't totally understand that, it's because it's a mystery that is beyond complete human comprehension. But this is basic core Christian doctrine that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, this is the one God who we worship. Another way of thinking about this is that the Father is the source, the Son is the way, and the Holy Spirit is the power the power who helps us follow the way of Jesus back to the purpose of the Father. Throughout the Holy Spirit, we we, we spent the last couple weeks talking quite a bit about what the Holy Spirit does in the last part of the New Testament. We've talked about Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came down in fire on people, and then how the Holy Spirit came down on the Gentiles and Cornelius. If you were here on Memorial Day weekend for a combined service, you heard that passage. And it's this overflowing, abundant pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost and and the Cornelius moment marks a distinctive difference in history of how the Holy Spirit functioned before that point to how the Holy Spirit functioned after that point. It was a decisive moment communicating to all believers everywhere that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the sons and daughters of God. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't active before that time. We just talked about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God is eternal. And so the Holy Spirit was preexistent before that moment. And if we go back and look at the Old Testament, there are lots of different times when the Holy Spirit was given for specific situations. For example, in the book of Genesis, it says the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at the creation. So the Holy Spirit was present in the creative act. We also read about when the the tabernacle was being built in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and those books of the Bible. There were artisans, there were artists and woodworkers and seamstresses and embroiderers who prepared all of the supplies for the tabernacle. They built the the building of the tabernacle, they built the tent, they they made the bowls and the pitchers, and they, they sewed the tapestries and embroidered on them. And the scripture says that the Holy Spirit was given to those artists to manifest the glory of God. Isn't that beautiful? 
We read about the Holy Spirit coming upon Balaam's donkey, and even a donkey got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak for, for a moment there. That was a crazy story. We read about Joshua, who was, it, the scripture says, was filled with the Spirit so that he could give creative leadership, a courageous leadership over the people of Israel after Moses died. We read about Gideon and Samson and some of the other judges, and they weren't great people, but the scriptures talk to us about how there were moments of the Holy Spirit coming on them and empowering them to complete works that God wanted to have done for his people Israel. We then get to the New Testament, and we, read it, we, we see how the Holy Spirit comes upon the Virgin Mary so that she conceives this child who would become, who would be Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit, it said, descends on him like a dove. When Jesus is led into the wilderness for 40 days of temptation, it was the Holy Spirit that leads him into this period of training. Jesus, in his teaching, talked quite a bit about the Holy Spirit. He wanted his followers to know about the Holy Spirit, be prepared about the Holy Spirit, be watching for the Holy Spirit. He tells them repeatedly, look for the Holy Spirit. Watch, I'm going to be sending it to you. The time will come when I'll send my, my spirit to you. And he tells them, I'm, I want you to baptize people in the name of the Holy Spirit. The Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for him. And he tells people the Holy Spirit will comfort you and will guide you into knowledge and wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit will give you assurance of truth. And, and so we have these, this beautiful manifestation of these moments of the Holy Spirit happening until Pentecost when it all breaks loose and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers. And we, that is the age that we live in today. So back to Nicodemus. Jesus, this is before the Holy Spirit is poured out, and, and Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you must be born of the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John in the New Testament, John chapter 3, or look that up in, on your Bible app on your phone. And John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, read like this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He says you have been born children of Adam, and now you need to be born as spiritual children of the Spirit. It is a complete renovation of your old self. It is a complete redoing, remaking. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm going to become a Christian so that Jesus can fix the parts of me that are broken. 
But the thing that God does is he says, well, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do more too because there's more in you that you think is fine that's really not, and I want to make you into a whole new creation. So this is where we come to the vampire part. In the book, The Absolute Basics of the Wesleyan Way, we have a little cute little vamp- vampire up there. The Absolute Basics of the Wesleyan Way by Phil Talon. It, this illustration comes from his book. And, and he says, imagine there is a vampire named Drake. This is Drake the vampire. And he skulks around after dark, like vampires do, capturing unsuspecting victims. He's done this for centuries. And one night, as he strolls through the forest, Drake happens upon a man who has foolishly wandered out alone, and Drake is hungry, so he does what vampires do. You know what that means. And as he walks back home, after he's done what he's done, he walks past a small hut at the edge of the forest. And there's a small girl that's sitting there, and she looks like she's waiting anxiously, and she's calling out, Papa, Papa. And in that moment, Drake has this moment of realization, and he suddenly realizes He just killed this little girl's father. And for the first time, he he has a connection with what he's done and the implications of what it means. This moment, this is what we call a moment of conviction. This is what we call a moment of conviction. Conviction from the guilt of sin. So Drake feels this remorse. He, he thinks of all the children who might go hungry, robbed of their parents. Perhaps you've had a situation, in your, a moment in your life where you have felt this conviction, this sudden awareness, this realization of, oh, I didn't realize before what was at stake, and now I see it. Drake feels sorry, so he decides he's going to try to make it up. And this moment is what we call repentance. Repentance. Repentance means to turn, and so Drake decides to turn from what he's been doing and to turn to something new. So Drake then begins taking packages of food and taking some money, and every day, for the next 10 years, he takes it to this little girl's house on the edge of the forest just to help her, So because he feels badly about it and he's wanted to turn from the past. So 10 years pass, after the child grows up, and one day he encounters this young woman in the forest on a stroll. And it's, it's eerily similar to that moment when he killed her father. And Drake feels this strong, vampirish kind of urge rising up in him because after all, he is a vampire. He is still a monster, and he feels these monster urges welling up in him. But he fights down those impulses because he has repented. He's, he's turned a new leaf. He's going a different direction. He fights down those impulses, and he gathers the strength to confess and apologize. This is the moment. This is what we call confession. So when we turn from sin, when we have awareness of our sin, and when we turn, we repent from it, confession is different than in that we then, we then say it. We acknowledge it. We admit it. He confesses. He confesses the murder. He confesses the sorrow, his remorse, his gifts. And, and there's this miracle. I mean, this, this woman says, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. And in that moment, their relationship changes. It changes from one of guilt to having a restored relationship because he's now forgiven. The the theological word that we use for this moment is justification. 
when our relationship is made right. So in our spiritual lives, justification happens when the relationship with God changes. When Jesus says, I accept you, you are justified based on my forgiveness and my standards of acceptance for you based on my sacrificial death. So the relationship is made right. Things are good. But there's still a problem. Drake is still, at heart, a vampire. He still has these desires. He still has this need for blood. And even though he's been forgiven, he remains that same kind of monster that still needs to drink blood in order to stay alive. So there's a relational change, but there's not a change in who he is yet. There's freedom from the guilt of sin, but there's not yet freedom from the power of sin. So the relationship has shifted, and and for us it would look like our relationship to God has shifted. We were lost, now we're found. We were once enemies of God, now we're restored to God. Once we were guilty, but now we've been forgiven. We've been, once we were unclean, now we are clean in God's eyes. But it's one thing to just be forgiven. It's another thing to actually be changed. And there would be a problem if we're not also actually changed. And if we are not born of the Spirit, we remain like Drake the Vampire in this story, forgiven, but plagued by the power of sin that we are in our own strength powerless to overcome. And we need the gift of God's Spirit to change both our relationship to God and to change us. To change us. And this is what we call new birth. So in this passage, in John chapter 3, we'll go from vampire to Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, There are are four observations that Jesus teaches us about what this born of the Spirit looks like. Jesus says in verse 3, it says, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Will you read that out loud with me, please? In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He says this, and Nicodemus says this whole thing about, well, wait, what do you mean by that? What's going on here? And then in verse 5, read this one out loud with me as well. It's very similar to what we just read. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Now, in both of those passages, Jesus begins by saying what little phrase? I, I tell you the truth. My, my son, one of my sons currently has this, this thing that he says where he says, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you this or that. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of the same thing Jesus is saying, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. And it's Jesus' way of saying, listen up here. Listen up. It, it, this is important. Pay attention to this part. Pay attention, Jesus says. And he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. You don't get into the kingdom unless you're born again. Point number one, you must 
be born again. You must receive this spiritual birth by the Holy Spirit into the Spirit-filled life. Jesus wants new birth for you. Jesus wants a complete renovation of who you are as a natural person into the spiritual person. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is a familiar verse. Will you please read this one out loud with me? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We are a new creation. And I think sometimes we stop in that part of the verse and we think, oh, I'm a new creation. But the verse goes on to say, the old part, you don't keep the old part and add new to it. The old is gone. You get rid of the old part. And the new has come. There's a replacement that happens. There is a change that happens. When you are born again, you are changed. Jesus then continues in verse 6. And he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Point number two is only the spirit gives birth to spirit. I would suggest to you that people today in our country, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our world, are hungry for spiritual meaning. I'm part of a a social media group called Grand Rapids Informed. I don't necessarily recommend it. There's a lot of weird stuff on there. But um, I'm fascinated. It's just random place. It's a random place for people to come and say, hey, tell me what's going on in Grand Rapids. And I am fascinated at the number of times people post about spiritual things in the secular group. And they're saying, I'm looking for a spiritual community. Where can I belong in a spiritual community? People are hungry for this. It's a, we're, we're made to have a spiritual hunger. And there is a longing for people to have that be filled. And Jesus wants you to have that spiritual hunger filled by his Holy Spirit. There is no other spirit that will adequately fill your hunger and the hole that you have for spiritual meaning. Other spirits, you will try to reach out to them. You will try to experience something from them. But ultimately, only the Holy Spirit will ultimately satisfy. Got a couple stories for you about that. Recently, I was introduced to a woman by a mutual acquaintance. And she was very lovely. She was beautiful. She was very nice, very friendly, very warm, and just at ease and confident. And I found myself, as she was there in in a really beautiful dress, and I was in my jeans and a regular old shirt, and, you know, I just wasn't, my pastor hat wasn't on. I was just kind of like chilling, and and she finds out I'm a pastor, and I'm like, oh, great. And I'm finding, as our conversation goes on, I'm finding this insecurity in me growing. I'm thinking, oh, she's, you know, she's really pretty, and she's really dressed nice, and she's, she, the words were coming to her. And you know how sometimes you, sometimes you can talk to people just fine, but other times you get a little tongue-tied, and you kind of start feeling dumb. And I, I was having, like, one of those moments. And we're talking, and after, afterward, I, I just thought, Christy, why were you so, why were you so intimidated? It's, you know, not a big deal. Like, why, what, what, why, why did that even happen? Well, I found out later through our mutual friend that this woman is a witch, like an actual witch, like actually publicly talks about witchcraft and spells and all the things. Like, this is, actu- this is a thing in our society, you guys. You need to know this. Like, this is out there. These spiritual things are out there. And, 
as I compared in my mind this beautiful, this person who looked beautiful to realizing what's happening at a spiritual dynamic, I had a couple conflicting thoughts. The first was that Satan masquerades as an angel of light and is involved in in deception, and some things that look pure and good aren't always. The other is that we are all pursuing spiritual life somewhere to varying degrees. But the only kind of satisfaction that's ultimately going to come is through the Holy Spirit. And I thought, why was I so intimidated in that moment? 1 John chapter 4 talks about how can you discern what is the Holy Spirit and what is a false spirit. And 1 John chapter 4 verse 2 says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. There's a spiritual hunger. Let's be discerning because only the Holy Spirit can fill it. The second story is this. Some people seek spiritual fulfillment, maybe not through classical spiritual ways, but through their ideology and through their values. Probably once a month, I receive an email from somebody who doesn't come to the church who says, I'm thinking about visiting your church today. And if you're a visitor today, I'm glad you're here. But I'm thinking about visiting your church. I want to know what your, if, if your church agrees with our family values. I probably get this once a month. And people are wanting to know if our church lines up with what they believe is correct and what, what they believe is accurate and what they believe is something that should be emphasized. I'm just going to tell you right now what nobody's asking me. Nobody is asking me, do you preach from the Bible? Nobody's asking me, do you love the poor? Nobody's asking, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Do you believe in the Trinity? This is the thing that is, Trinity discussions are up for grabs right now. Lots of people are talking about this right now. No one's asking me these kinds of questions. No one's asking me, If I don't align with scripture, are you going to challenge me and confront me if I fall into sin? Our values look like righteousness. Our values can look, can can seek, we can try to use them to fill a, a spiritual hunger that we have. But ultimately, your values for what looks like righteousness and what looks like justice, if if it's not ultimately coming out of a kingdom foundation, those are not going to save you. Only the Holy Spirit can bring that spiritual vitality that you deeply long for. No other spirit can give you new life. No other spirit than the Holy Spirit. And there are many other false spirits out there. Only the Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus then continues, talking with Nicodemus in verse 8, and I love this moment in the video that we watched where Jesus said, did you hear the wind? Pay attention, what, what, did you, what just happened? Verse 8 says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That's a pretty cool dynamic of wind, isn't it? Like, sometimes you feel it, but you can't, we don't, we can't tell where it comes from. We can't tell how it's moving. It's, it's so interesting. But the point is that there is an experience of the Spirit. You, you feel it. Sometimes you can hear it. You can see the effects of the things that it blows. You can tell that the Holy Spirit is doing something, even though you can't 
capture the Holy Spirit or you can't contain it. You can't contain who the Holy Spirit is. You don't know where it's coming or going. You, you can't door dash him. You can't place an order on Amazon for the Holy Spirit and expect him to show up on your doorstep in two days. You can't track him on the UPS tracker that tells you where he's been and know when he's going to show up. You, you can't just command the Holy Spirit to fill you. The, the Holy Spirit has a will in mind of his own. I think that's what Jesus is telling us with this passage. It, the wind blows wherever it pleases. He's like, you're not going to control the Holy Spirit. You can't like make him do what you want him to do. The Holy Spirit has a will and a mind of his own because as we talked about at the beginning, he is a person. However, you can ask for him to come. You can invite him to come. You can watch for him to come. You can make space for him to come. You can wait and hope for him to come. And you can receive him when he comes. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus tells his disciples, he's teaching, and he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how many of you like parents like to give good gifts to your children? It feels good to give them a gift that they like, right? You know how to give good gifts. How much more... Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Of course he wants to give you the good gift. Of course he wants you to have it. You can't command him, but you'll know when you experience him. Just like the wind, you'll know when you experience the wind. Now this is what we call fruit. When we experience the Holy Spirit, there is a result. There's something that happens. If you have the Holy Spirit, it will show that you do. Sometimes we study the fruits of the Spirit. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love. Good job. Good job. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The scripture tells us this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes I think we, we kind of erroneously place emphasis on let's study the fruits of the Spirit and let's try harder at being gentle. Let's try harder at being patient. And of course, it's good to cultivate practices that encourage those things, but that's ultimately not what the passage is about. Ultimately, this passage says, don't focus on, those th on getting that fruit. Focus on the getting the Holy Spirit. Because once you have the Holy Spirit, the fruit that the Holy Spirit will bear in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It is a result of having the Holy Spirit alive and active in you. It's not about you adding more virtues to your, resume, your spiritual resume. It's about the, inviting more of the Holy Spirit so that you will emerge and erupt and overflow with the fruit of the Holy Spirit in these areas. If the Holy Spirit has given you new life, you will look like a changed person. You will look different. That power of sin gets broken in you. God will change your appetites. God will change the ugly things you long for, and he will give you a hunger for the pure and the good and the beautiful. God will give you a distaste. Eventually, he can give you a distaste for sinful things you used to crave. Maybe you hated good things in the past, and he will give you a hunger for scripture, a hunger for prayer. He can do these things. The wind can turn you in a new direction. The wind can turn you in a new direction. This is how you know that you've been born of the Spirit. There's evidence. There's fruit. This leads us to our fourth and final observation. We already read these passages, but I'm going to read them again and emphasize a different part. In verse 3, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
it doesn't say, I tell you the truth, only a few people. <laughs> a few people will get in. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God except for if he's born again. Born again is the only way to see the kingdom of God. There aren't any other options. And he says in verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water in the Spirit. He says no one. Now, I, I think that we would resist this, kind, a lot of us would resist this kind of thinking because we say, oh, God is love. God accepts everybody. Well, God does love everybody, but he doesn't, but he has standards for entering his kingdom, as Jesus clearly says here. He says, if you're not with me, you're not with me. Jesus says no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Preacher Trent Griffith said, there are a lot of things you can see without being born again. You can see religious activity. You can see the inside of a church. You can see inside of a Bible. But Jesus said, you will never see inside the kingdom of God unless you're born again. It's exclusive. It's exclusive. Not everybody's there. And then he says, unless that person is born again, indicating there's one way. There aren't options. And then he says in verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Jesus is saying absolutes here. He's saying it's absolutely essential. You must be born of the Spirit. Observation number four is the way to God's kingdom is exclusively limited to those who are born of the Spirit. Now the good news is that you've been invited to be born of the Spirit. But the other news is, if you're not born of the Spirit, there's a problem. This is why Jesus gets serious. This is why he says, I'm not going to lie. This is important. I'm not going to lie. You should, you should listen up here. There isn't another option. There isn't a plan B. There aren't lots of different ways to do this. Jesus says there's one way, and unless you're born of the Spirit, that's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says in John 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me, whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus says, hey everybody, I'm it. I am it. Other ways other people, other things, they're not it. Be filled with my spirit. My spirit has been given. My spirit has been poured out on you. My spirit is waiting for you. You've been designed for my spirit. Ask for my Holy Spirit. Pray for my Holy Spirit. Invite my Holy Spirit. Receive my Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit when you have the Holy Spirit. In fact, the scripture says, fan into flame the gifts of the Holy Spirit in you. Believe in me and let Jesus, the Lord says, let my Holy Spirit rule in you and direct you. Live in step with the Spirit, the scriptures tell us. My question for you is if you have been born of the Spirit. Maybe you're like Drake the vampire. And there's been a, a freedom from sin, but not from the power. There's been a freedom from the guilt of sin, but maybe that power is still lacking for you. 
today's Father's Day, and I think it has to make us think about our connection to God the Father, our creation as children of, uh, we're creations of God, we, we bear the image of God. But the Bible's very clear about saying we are not all sons and daughters of God. We have to be adopted into his family. He wants to do that. He wants us to belong to his family. But there are two kinds of people. There are those who, who know God as their father because they've been born again into his family. And there are those who don't know God as father because they have not been born again into his family. And I wonder what you will do with this teaching from Jesus that says, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. There's a Holy Spirit given for you, available to you. A Holy Spirit to change us. A Holy Spirit that meets these deepest needs of our hearts, the deepest longings that we have. We, there is so much more that God wants for us. There's so much more that he can do. Without the Holy Spirit, our view is so small. Our world is so small. With the Holy Spirit, possibilities open up that we could have never dreamed of. The good news is that Jesus is offering his Holy Spirit. He teaches us about that. He says, wait for my Holy Spirit. It's going to come. And then it gets poured out at Pentecost. And all who've put their faith in Jesus have the ability to receive this blessing and this gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us and fill us and draw us into a new life with God. To break the power of sin that likes to flare up in our lives. And I invite you to bow your heads and just call out to God, God, I want your spirit. I want the salvation. Some of you might need to pray for salvation and say, I like Drake, I just need to repent of where I've been. I've had this awakening. I just need to repent. And others of you who have taken that step might just say, I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want this power of sin to be broken in my life. I want to be so consumed with the Holy Spirit. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when Dr. Evans was preaching, and he said, what are you full of? And if we, the thing is, is if we're full of the Holy Spirit, there's not room for the other stuff. The Holy Spirit is not interested in coexisting with your favorite sins. The Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is allowed to flourish in your life, if, if you fan the flame of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will talk to you about those things that need to go if, if you listen. If you want to be born of the Spirit today, tell the Lord, Lord, I believe that Jesus' death on the cross was not just a historical thing that I rationally believe in with my mind, but I trust that his death was for me. And God, I believe that Jesus' death was sufficient to deal with my sin against God. It's hard to imagine, but and my sin feels pretty bad. And you might be thinking, you don't know all the things that I've done. Well, God does, and the thing is, is that God says that the death of Jesus is sufficient to deal with your sin against God. The judgment that we deserved was poured out on Jesus instead. 
And as people of faith, we choose to believe that Jesus took that judgment for us. Maybe you need to tell God, God, I'm, I repent. I'm turning away. The wind of your Holy Spirit is blowing me in a different direction. and I, I turn away from deathly places. I'm turning away from the old. I'm saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Come and fill me, Holy Spirit. The scripture says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And Lord God, we say we want your spirit. We ask humbly that in your way and in your time, you would fill us with your spirit. We confess all the things in us that are unspiritual, ungodly, of the devil. We confess these things to you, and we say, Spirit, fill me. Break the power of sin that holds me strong still. Bring me to something new. Amen. When a baby's born, a new person comes onto this planet. It's a miracle. A whole new life happens. And this young person will most likely resemble one or both of, of their parents. When we're born of the Spirit, an, a new person enters this world. Also a miracle. And you arrive with a new spiritual life. And as we grow, we come to resemble our Heavenly Father. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we will increasingly look like our Heavenly Father. We don't just get forgiven of sin and then hold on to our same sins because we still love them. We get forgiven of our sin and when the Holy Spirit comes, He changes us and He makes us holy and He makes us increasingly holy. And we more and more conform to the likeness of Christ as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill you today, if you've said, I want more Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, be alive in me. Do more in me. Break, I feel this power of sin that has not been broken in me. I, I want more of that. Maybe you prayed that prayer. But if you, if you prayed about being born of the Spirit, or if you want to know more, I'm just going to invite you to write your name and contact info on a communication card. I want to send you some stuff this week just to help you grow in your understanding of it. So include your address or your email, and I'll send you some things this week to just help you grow and understand a little bit more about, about how you can encourage and receive the Holy Spirit in your life. You can leave these cards either up front at communion or drop them in the drop box at the welcome table after the service. But I think, City Life, that if we can all be filled with a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that a lot of things are going to change. And just like we experienced this beautiful panel of the testimonies that I told you about at the beginning of the service today, of people sharing testimonies of how God has delivered them out of homelessness and out of, addi out of addiction and into recovery, there's, there's an abundance there that God has done, and there's so much more. There's so much more for all of us. I can only imagine what God will do with this fully spirit-filled church. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. 
No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of the Spirit. Let's receive him. Lord God, here we are. Give us this gift. Speak to us, change us. May we have the ability and the grace to receive all of the gifts that you have for us today. Amen.